Okay. John, the first chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. We know this is going back to eternity, and we've shared before in the past, this is way before Genesis chapter 1 and verses 1 through 31. That was in the beginning God created, but this is bringing us back much, much further than creation. It's bringing us into eternity because time begins to be in Genesis, the first chapter. This is eternity. The same, which was the word, was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. This is what Paul refers to in Colossians 1 and verse 16, that it was Christ, the Son of God, who actually was the one that created. And of course, he did nothing outside of the Father and the Son because they're all one in nature, character, and essence. Verse 4, it says, And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shined into the darkness, and the darkness did not overwhelm it. You'll see comprehend comprehended it, really. It did not overwhelm it. <clears throat> there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. John the Baptist himself was not that light, <clears throat> but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light. That's a loaded statement. That was the true light. All other that would pretend and say that they were light or have any kind of understanding about God or the things of God, the things of time and eternity, would not be of the true light because all of that has its place in the sun. That was the true light. So in other words, there would be no light without life and, and there would be no life without Christ for us, or for any human being for that matter. That was the true light which lights every man that comes into the world. This goes against Quakerism and friends and all that that say, that would teach that there was still light in mankind. There was still light even when he fell. There was some light that, that Christ could come in and light. And we know the facts from Genesis 6 and verse 5 in Genesis 8 and verse 21, that the thought of man outside of Christ in his fallen state would only be evil continually. All his purpose, desires, and plans based upon those evil thoughts would only be evil continually, and that's why there was nothing in him of God. Matter of fact, when Adam fell, he fell from innocence, and he fell, and he fell. As soon as he was tried in that innocence, he fell. Verse 10, he was in the world. That's Christ now in his, in his, when he's incarnated, truly God and truly man. And the world, the whole earth, was made by him. But that whole world of humanity, those that were on that world that he made, knew him not. Notice that? They knew him not. 
He came unto his own. This is the nation of Israel and his humanity. We know that he was born in Galatians 4, 4 of a woman under the law, being, being a Jew in terms of his, his humanity. He came unto his own. The nation of Israel and his own rejected him. But, and here's the parentheses, and this is where we are. This is the dispensation of grace, the church age. But God is no longer dealing with the Jews as a nation. No longer. I remember way back in the very early 70s in South Berwick. There was a precious man, and he was. He was a precious man of God, and he was a friend. And he was a Jewish man, and he was having this whole thing, Jews for Jesus, which, of course, we know there's, there's none of that in, Hebrews, uh, in, in Ephesians 2, 14 and 50. There is no Jew, and, and we know that again in Galatians 3 and verse 26 and 3 and verse 28. No such thing. We all lose that. We're all one in Christ. But they would teach the Jews for Jesus. Okay. But as many as received him, to them he gave power. Power here is the right and authority to become the sons of God, even to them that would believe on his name. And of course, his name speaks of his nature, that's Christ, and what he accomplished, being the only one that could do it. Verse 13, which were born, again, born again, because they were born once in natural life, all of us, conceived in sin in Psalm 51 and verse 5. As soon as they come forth out of the womb with those natures, they speak lies in Psalm 58 and verse 3, which were born, but this time, born again, not of blood. Notice that? Not of blood. Here, this is very specific because we know that the old sin nature from Adam on was passed on through the 23 reproductive chromosome genes of the male sperm. That, that nature was passed on, and this is brought out in Romans 5 and verse 12, that old sin nature that was passed on because the blood was, again, in Leviticus 17 and verse 11, the life of the flesh, natural life, is in the blood. And that's, again, going into, we shared a little bit last night about Ecclesiastes. That's natural man and all his natural viewpoint has everything to do with about himself and everything that has to do with time. It doesn't have a thing to do with eternal, eternal realities. That's the book of Ecclesiastes and the reality that God is using, especially for the Christian, is in those first 11 chapters, he's bringing out realities about natural viewpoint. And what does it amount to? If I have not love, in 1 Corinthians 13, those first three and four verses, I am what? Nothing. And nothing there is Ecclesiastes 1, verses 1 and 2. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. All is nothing. And so everything for us outside of Christ is absolutely empty. It's nothing. And the emptiness, okay, is, is the lust of the flesh. And lust, we know, is insatiable. It will always be empty no matter how much we go after those things that are outside of him. Or those things that he meant to bless us with, they replace him. Okay, so which were born not of blood, because we know in Leviticus 17, verse 11, with, with Romans 5, 12, that the life of the flesh is in the blood, that, that life, that, that nature that would be passed on. 
but we were born not of that blood, born again, not of that blood. And this is very specific because that is why when Jesus Christ was created of God, remember he was a creation of God in the womb of the 14-year-old peasant girl in Luke 1 and verse 35, that holy thing that will be born, that is in you, is, is what? It was born of the Holy Spirit. So there was no blood, no tainted blood, and that's why, again, brought out very, very clearly in Hebrews 4 and verse 15, yet sin apart, he had a human nature. He never had a sin nature. Okay? Adam, before in his untried innocence, had a human nature, but when he fell, he got a sin nature. And this is what this goes into in specifics here this morning. Not of blood, in this second birth, nor of the will of the flesh in this fallen state. Not of the will of the flesh, nor even of the will of man, but of God. Notice that? Of God. Everything that we have is of God. And that's why in ourselves, we're nothing, but him, in him, with him and us, we have what? We have everything. And the word, and again, this is logos, the word, it's, it's the Greek article, the Greek article saying, see this word, this word of life, man, no other kind. There's no life without him. That's what it's bringing out. And the word was made in a physical body in the womb of that peasant girl, the Virgin Mary, and dwelt, he dwelt, meaning he lived just like us, without a sin nature, but he worked, he felt pain, he got tired, he was thirsty, he would hunger. But the beauty of that in him is different than anyone else. In John 4 and verse 34 was that his very meat, his very sustenance was to do the will of the Father. Wouldn't that be something if that was the case in our case? If everything about us wasn't a necessary food of the details of life, but it would be the will of the Father, which we have based upon Christ, who he is and what he did in John 20 and verse 17. Because Christ said to Mary at the tomb, he said, I am going to my Father and my God in a way, of course, that is deity or divinity. He's made it very separate. But because of what he did in his humanity, he said, and your Father and your God for us. So we have a Father, loving Father, but still in a government for us, and that government doesn't have to do with wrath. It has to do with, with loving discipline and chastisement and learning and growing in grace. But it certainly has nothing to do with wrath. So the word was, was made in humanity and dwelt among us. And, but we, different than anyone else we ever saw in humanity, we beheld his glory. Notice that? His glory. See, so everything about you and I in Christ has to do with everything to do with him, his glory, the fact that he glorified the Father in his humanity in John 17 and, and uh, verse 4 by finishing the work. And then in 17 verse 5, glorifying him. So when he said he's going to go back, glorify me now with the glory which I had with you before, what he's bringing there clearly is there's a glory that he had always as God. But thank God, in humanity now, he has been glorified 
by putting on that humanity and fulfilling the will of God, completing it and finishing the work, then he was, and what he's teaching there is he's always the son of God, always has been, always would be. The whole time he walked the face of the earth, he never left the bosom of the Father because you can't separate who God is, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he was always the Son of God by virtue of who he is and his deity. He became the Son of Man, another glory, whole glory. The Son of Man by virtue of bringing in us, capturing us in Ephesians 4 verse 8 and Psalm 68 and verse 18, capturing us and bringing us into this glorified state because he, Christ, would be in us in Colossians 1 and verse 27. We beheld his glory, his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Notice that? That's him in his deity. But in his humanity, bringing out the fullness of the grace and truth. So everything about us, when we walk in the light of who he is, is what? It's grace, it's unmerited, unkind, uh, favor, Every single thing about us is grace, and that's the truth. So there's no grace without truth. There's no truth without grace. And for us, there never would be without a cross where Christ accomplished that to his Father, being the propitiatory sacrifice that his Father needed with the sin question, which we'll see in this chapter in propitiation, fulfilling Genesis 22 and verse 8 but thereby become a substitute for those that would receive him in John 1.12 and thus be reconciled to God. So here is brought out in, in, in a certain way here, propitiation. And some have said it, Lewis Berry Chafer and others, they say it like this is the Godward side of the cross. The father needed to be propitiated. He never needed to be reconciled. We need to be reconciled. We couldn't be without a substitute. That's why in 1 Timothy, Timothy 2 and verse 5, there's one mediator between God and men. It's the man, the, again, the man, this one, Christ himself, the Greek article, the man, Christ Jesus. And that's why there's no other name under heaven in Acts 4 and verse 12, whereby men may be saved, thus being reconciled based upon a substitute. And this is going into John 1 and verse 14. He was the only begotten of the Father, eternally begotten. <laughs> Things that go way beyond our finite understanding. But he was filled up in his humanity of grace and truth. Oh, God, what must it have been? Oh. And when we see this here, he was, the word was made flesh, became flesh, and, and dwelt among us. This is bringing out, in a way, that Paul brought out when it says, in fulfillment of Isaiah 45 and verse 23, is bringing out Philippians 2, 6 through 11. This is what I'll read in Philippians 2. And this is what's bringing it out to us in a very deeper, clearer way. In Philippians 2 and, and verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you. Do you see John 1, verse 14? And the word was made flesh. What mind was that? What mind? When it says in Philippians 2 and verse, verse 5, let this mind be in you, because this is the eternal mind of God. 
That's what this is talking about. It's the eternal mind of God himself who always saw his son in one sense and his eternal begottenness as a lamb because he foresaw before anything, obviously, knowing everything all at once that there would be an angelic fall and there would be humanity that would be created that would fall as a result we see in Genesis 3, 1 through 6. And so when it says, let this mind be in you, God, the Son, the eternal Son, would become a man? Who would do something like that other than God himself? So when it says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's going back here to John 1, 1 through 14 here. Let this mind be in you. This whole thought, this full thought, the full thought of God is Jesus Christ. No other thought is of light. No other thought is of of life or light or, for that matter, of love outside of Jesus Christ. So let this mind be in you, which was the mind of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't you think that in, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, when he said, let's cre- create man in our image, did we ever think that that creation would be Adam or would it be Christ who would come and put on humanity? Because we know in Revelations 13, 8, he was the lamb slain from before time was. So he did not come. It was the eternal mind of God. He did not come to be a lamb slain. He came as one already slain. And we need to let that mind be in us. Which was also in Christ Jesus. Why can that be? Because now when we receive him, what do we receive? The full thought of God through Christ who is the word. And remember what are thoughts, what are words, but a vehicle for thought. So we have God's full thought, which is Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form that God is. He, very God, truly God, never separated from him. Who being in the very form of God, and this is not a very good translation in the King James, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, really means, didn't think his deity was something that was so necessary to be grasped at all times. <laughs> but he laid aside the outward form of his deity. That goes into, if we think about it and we're taught clearly, we know in Numbers, the fourth chapter, where it goes into the tabernacle. The tabernacle, okay, is the fulfillment there when it was, when it was made on the outside. It was made of all animal skins. Nothing really to look at. Fulfilling Isaiah 53 in verse 2. There'd be no beauty in him that would attract us. It would be this life that would be glowing out of him. In John 1 and verse 14. But out of that, because inside that tabernacle wasn't much to look like. God wasn't drawing people to his son based upon an outward appearance, but the beauty that was within. And when you went into the tabernacle, there in Numbers, the fourth chapter, it was absolutely gorgeous and beautiful and very precise in its beauty. And then it even goes into 
that the king's daughter is all glorious within. And that goes into, I believe it's Psalm 48 and verse 14. All beautiful within. So with the let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being God himself, didn't think that the outward manifestation, which was so important to be equal with God, but separated from that thought, think about it, separated from making himself of anything. That's God. Oh my God. If God had only thought of himself, where would we be? If God had only thought of himself in his glory, where would we be? But you know, his thought was us. His thought was who we were and who he would make us to be in his son. The son of his love. That's why we're meet, we're called, we're qualified to walk in the light in Colossians 1 and verse 12 because he's transliterated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. What does that mean? Loves us just like his son. Wouldn't that be something for us to realize and have that mind to be in us? But, but made himself. Did any man make him that? Any more than did death take him? Did man crucify him? Or did he give himself over in the fulfillment of Revelations 13, 8? to come in time and be that lamb that would be slain, but that was slain in the eternal mind of God in eternity before time ever was. Before there was ever a thing that was created, an angel or a man, or anything of material substance, there God is. Father, Son in this eternal embrace in John 1 and verse 1, that nothing could disturb or distract and never did in his deity, never a single thing, and never even in his humanity, except when he was on the cross, because all of our sins were on him. That disturbed it. That would fulfill, in Matthew 27 and verse 46, would fulfill Psalm 22 and verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God had to forsake his son because he became that sin sacrifice in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And if he hadn't done that, if this hadn't been the eternal mind of God, tell me, where would we be? Wouldn't that be the one that was created in his image? Wouldn't that be us created in his image? And it is. So let that mind be in you. But made himself of no reputation. Oh boy, what offends us? It's we have a reputation still in the flesh that we're guarding. That's why certain things offend us in Psalm 119, 165, because great peace and our, the greatness of our peace in Ephesians 2, 14 is Christ. But great peace have they that love the word. And, there, and that form there it was the law, but it was still the word. And nothing will cause them to stumble. Nothing will offend them. Where do we get offended? In the mind of Christ that we have in 1 Corinthians 2, 16. You know, we have the mind of Christ. But in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. He considers them to be foolishness because he has a reputation to hold on to. But neither can he know them because they're, they're spiritually discerned. And that's why we said recently, um, I don't remember exactly when, but we were created in the image of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We created spirit, soul, and body in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23. We have a spirit where we can commune with God. Very different than the, 
the animal kingdom, which, is, uh, which are created as dichotomous, a soul and a body. When we live outside of Christ, in our experience, everything about us is our self and our body. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. This is brought out in what Christ was accomplishing and, and, and manifesting, of course, and this truth is John 1 verse 14, as we said just a little while ago, but this is brought out with Christ towards us who are his in John 13, 1 through 11, where he's washing our feet, where he took off his outer robes, and that speaks of the glory, that glory, that outward manifestation, and put on a towel, a servant's towel, to clean our feet, those that were his. That is, that is why we can confess our sin in 1 John 1, 9. He's faithful and just. To for, we experience the forgiveness that's ours. Based upon that, that's brought out in John 13, 1 through 10 and through 11. And that's why he told Peter, you, you only, you, you, you only, your, your whole body is washed once. That's receiving Christ as your Savior. But then you have to have your feet wa- washed because we walk in this world and I walk through some of the choices and thoughts and choices that we make. I, our walk gets defiled, but thank God we have that in 1 John 1, 9. And so, again, made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. That's why when he came into the world in John 1, 10, the world didn't know him. There's no beauty in him in Isaiah 53 and verse 2 that would attract us to him. And was made in the habit, likeness there of men is the very habit. It doesn't mean, this is not dealing with nature. It's how they lived. Habit, not in sin, but just everyday things. You're hungry, you got to feed yourself. Thirsty, you got to drink water. You got to have a living, you got to work. Jesus, you were brought up in in Joseph, your, your, your natural father in that sense, if we can even say it that way your natural father, of which in his humanity he chose, he chose to literally obey him as God in humanity. <laughs> it's unbelievable that God would submit to his own those that he put in authority. It's just, a, and, it's in, and even Christ in, in his perfect humanity, yet truly God and truly man, yet would still submit to that authority. Isn't that amazing? That's God. Who's like him? And who was like the son? But made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the habit of men. And being found in fashion as a man. Look at this. God Almighty. That's so convicting. He humbled himself. You know, everything about our life, saved or unsaved, that does have to do with humility. It does much more in a spiritual sense, being born again. But he humbled himself as God in humanity. He humbled himself. Right? And became obedient even unto death. He did no wrong. There was no sin in him. Listen to Pilate. 
in John the 18th and 19th chapters, I find no fault in him. There's nothing that he, he should be worthy of to be condemned to death. Nothing. There's no fault in him. Still in his pride and submitting in fear of the people, still gave him over to the Jews to have him hand over to the Roman government to be crucified. And of course, out of that came the most incredible love. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. So when it says he became obedient unto death, he was involved with how, since the fall, how death would work in in individuals. But him, even far more, even the death of the cross, that's something he experienced that no other human being could because he was that lamb in Revelations 13, 8 that was slain before the foundation of the earth. Even the death of the cross, wherefore God also has what? Highly exalted him, him and him alone in that sense, and given him a name based upon his person, his nature, and the work that he accomplished, which is above every single name. This is again fulfilling Isaiah 45 and verse 23. That at the name of Jesus, listen to this, every knee will bow. Every knee will show obeisance to him and bow, like it or not. Every knee, watch. Of things in heaven, that's us as heavenly people. We're going to bow. And in our hearts, we'll be singing to the Lamb in Revelations 5, 9 and 12. Oh, God, you're so worthy. And we lovingly and graciously bow in complete love and adoration for him. That's in heaven. And things on the earth, his kingdom people, the Jews, his kingdom people on earth will, go, will do the same thing as their Messiah. Yet we have a position in him as his heavenly people, as is brought out in the epistle to the Ephesians, a higher height than even those that are on the earth of all people groups in the perfect plan of God. And then it says this, and things, what? Under the earth. Many believe, and as I do, that hell's located in the center of the earth. Of things under the earth. Even those in hell, and even those that will be in the eternal, as much as some don't like hell, and don't want it to exist anymore, is cast into the lake of fire. We can see that again in Revelation, the 20th chapter, if we study our scriptures. And even those that are in hell and then cast into the lake of fire, when they hear the name, they have to bow. And they still have to bow. Their will isn't there, but they still have to do it. That's what this is bringing out. And every tongue will confess what? Truly. As much as it today, people don't want grace. Kick that in our country. Why is our country in the shape it's in? Kick them out of prayer, out of the schools. Kick them out. Kick them out. Every statue, everything that has anything to do with the Word of God, we don't want it. We don't want to hear it. That's the world system in Genesis, the fourth chapter, starting at verse 16, right to the end. Listen, we, you can have your religion. You can tell about this God far away at certain times, but Christ, a bloody sacrifice, a cross that crosses me out and has nothing to do with me, everything to him? No. No. We're going to make it good. 
Can't we all be co-equal and coexist? Like some would even sing, imagine there's no heaven above, no hell beneath. That's the song of the enemy. That at the name of that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That's our proper confession. Do you know even when we confess our sins, that's what we're confessing? You dealt with them. You dealt with them in, in first John one nine. But there will be a measure of godly sorrow in, in 2 Corinthians 7.10. But it's never with regret because worldly sorrow will always have regret. Can you imagine the regret of those that go into a Christless eternity in hell and then be cast into the lake of fire with the beast, the false prophet, and Satan himself with all those fallen angels, and all those that don't have Christ as their life. Again, that's brought out in Revelation, the 20th chapter. We see it in verses 10 right to verse 15. That every tongue should confess that Jesus is the Lord. That's our whole life, you know. Uh, everything about us is a proper confession. It's Christ. If it's not revealing that, it's revealing some form of a reputation that we have. And when we get around those that don't know Christ, and if it's not about Christ, then we will, will, will be afraid to not to show Christ, but so we'll show some kind of a reputation of the flesh because we don't want Christ manifested because we know that there could be some persecution because in 2 Timothy 3.12, all that live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. But is, that, what would it, is it better to suffer righteous persecution and have that as a badge of honor and then uh, to suffer in sin through bad decisions? Well, that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord. See, we're not making him Lord. We're confessing he always has been and always is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, his lordship has to do with the glory of who he is. It has nothing to do with us making him to be anything at all, at all. So wherefore, because of all this, my beloved, that's who we are, as you have always obeyed, he's seeing us in Christ in obedience, not even in our failures. Think about that. He only God sees us. And everything about us, we're going to see this, and we can, we'll see this at another time, possibly tomorrow, how even the fire at, at, at the judgment, the bema seed of Christ for the believer, the fire, the fire always speaks of judgment. It's an emblem of judgment fire. It's the fire of his holiness. His love and justice not being met could only be wrath. Fire. But for us there isn't any. But even at the, at the, at the manifestation seat, the beam seat, manifestation evaluation seat, not a judgment seat, because we appear there without sin, please we need to understand the teaching of Hebrews 9, 26 to 28. An understanding. Yes, there is a judgment between uh, Hebrews 9.26 and Hebrews 9.28. There is a judgment, yes, in 9.27, but there isn't any for us. But even at that beaming seat, the fire of his holiness consumes and burns up the wood, hay, and stubble. 
but only brings out the clarity and beauty of who we are in him. That's why there's no terror there in 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11. Wherefore, because of all of this, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. Now, Paul, yeah, but how about, how about God? You know, some of the things, our attitudes and things, you know, we want to hide from people. It's right in his countenance is beheld. Our secret sin, the secret is in the light of his countenance in Psalm 90, verse 8. As you've always obeyed, not God's presence. God's presence. When does he not see? Proverbs 5, 21, uh, Jer- Jeremiah 23 and verse 24. He's everywhere present, <laughs> beholding the good and the evil. He gives us such grace, and he's so patient for us to de- even deal with attitudes that are not of who we are and his son in us. We have to, and to do that, we have to bypass the reality. Talk about conviction. We have to bypass the reality of Christ is in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Boy, oh boy. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. You know, this is in the absence. Maybe Christ isn't here physically, but does he dwell in our hearts? Work out your own salvation with a reverence. Not fear like the world. That has regret. Ours, there's going to be a godly sorrow mixed with it, but there's going to be an awe and a reverence for him that comes out of it. Work out your own. This is very personal. I can't do this for you. You can't do this for me. We cannot do this for each other. We don't do that. We don't rely on each other for things that are ours in Christ. And if we don't know them, where does that leave us? Leaves us relying on others. Instead of being a joint in Ephesians 4 and verse 16, that has a supply, a personal supply. That's what this talking about. Work out your own salvation. With a reverence and a trembling. Why? For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. This would lead us to do all things without murmuring attitudes that haven't been communicated in thought. Just mm, mm, mm. <laughs> And then eventually, if they're not dealt with in the reverence and awe of God and confessing them, what happens? They are into, into now disputing, so they're outward. I can't contain it anymore. This person's offended, has made me so angry inwardly. Now I need you to, do, to declare it to. <laughs> And let's call that fellowship because we're both Christians. (laughs) Do all things without murmuring and disputing. Can we? Well, we can if we have that mind. Philippians 2, 5 and Colossians 1 and verse 16. So as we wrap this up this morning here, that goes into John 1 and verse 14. The word, the word, logos, was made, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, doxa, the glory, the doxa of, of the only begotten, uniquely one-of-a-kind begotten of the Father. He was filled up with all that grace and truth is. So, Father, we thank you for this morning, uh, for these truths that none of us know apart from our wills being submitted to you so that we can have a proper experience based upon 
a proper position, being positioned in you, being accepted, everything, we're accepted in you. We wouldn't be able to confess what we're not if we hadn't been in you. We, we are accepted in Ephesians 1.6. And boy, when I don't know that I am so accepted of God, I will seek to be accepted of others, and that will leave me in a place of trying to do, trying to make things right, when everything is already right, because we've been accepted in the beloved. So Father, thank you for this truth, for the intimacy and the intricacy of this glorious majesty that Christ is in each of us that treasure that's in each of us. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.